Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Plot Lines. I'm your host, Connor, and we have a very fun episode for you today. Uh, uh, before we begin, uh, please like, share, comment, and subscribe. Uh, I, for all of you who haven't uh, noticed recently, I made it to a thousand subscribers, so that's it's very mm-hmm. exciting uh, for me. Uh, I'm uh, honored to have back uh, as my guest today to discuss the Marie Antoinette B, uh, PBS series, Elena Maria Vidal, who wrote a uh, biography on the Queen. And uh, thank you, Elena Maria Vidal, for coming back. Thank you for having me, Connor. It's an honor to be here, and I'm so excited how your show is growing. I think that's wonderful. I'm. I, I, if it impresses anybody, it's in, it impresses myself most <laughs> of all. Well, you're doing a great job. You're doing an excellent job. And thank you so much for having me. And as I said to you before, I really felt that there were so many erroneous things in this um, Marie Antoinette PBS that Catholics should be aware of. And just general, in general, people that love history should be aware of. Now, mm-hmm. I'll um, give, I don't know if the last time I was here, I gave my background, my, but I think I'll give a little bit of my credentials is that I did grow up in Frederick County, Maryland and the Archdiocese of Baltimore. I'm a cradle Catholic. I was born on the Feast of the Assumption, and I graduated in 1984 from Hood College in Frederick, Maryland with a bachelor's degree in psychology. But then I went on to study history at the State University of New York in Albany, and I received a master's degree in modern European history in 1985. In 1986, I joined the Secular Order of Our Lady of Mount Carmel, and spent five years in a Carmelite cloister discerning a vocation to the religious life, which I did not have. Now, after a pilgrimage to Lourdes, I felt called to take up writing again, which I'd put aside when I entered the monastery. I am now working on my seventh book and sixth novel. I have written three books about Marie Antoinette and her family, two novels, Trianon and Madame Royale, which came out in 1997 and the year 2000, and a biography, Marie Antoinette, Daughter of the Caesars. I blog at T at Trianon and at Fountain of Elias. Fountain of Elias is more of my Carmelite blog about spirituality. Okay. Now this program was not quite as bad as the CW, I mean, is not quite as bad because some of the, it's not still being shown in the United States. It's not quite as bad as the CW series Rain, which um, came out a few years ago about Mary Queen of Scots. And oh. uh, that was just like a fantasy. Okay. That was, <laughs> it was actually, it was so fake that it was funny. It was kind of entertaining. Uh, but it was really wasn't, it was so full of, it was, you know, almost like a mixture of Tolkien and, and history. I mean, it was like fantasy history. But probably this bad, is, bad Tolkien, right? Not, not, not bad, good bad Tolkien. Tolkien. Not good Tolkien, exactly. Yeah. So this, this show is just one notch above that. And it's, it's probably on the same level as the canal did a production of Versailles about the life of Louis the 14th, but it had a lot of erroneous things in it. So many erroneous things, but funny enough, some of the things that seemed the most bizarre were the things that were true. Like the <laughs> queen. Yeah, I know that's always the way to, and especially Louis the 14th. And it's the same with this show on Marie Antoinette. Now, 
um, I thought nothing could be as bad as a Coppola film that came out in the year 2006 about Marie Antoinette. But this program so distorts history that it makes a Coppola film look like a documentary. <laughs> it's, yes, it's as if they've taken every inaccuracy from every film ever made about Marie Antoinette and drek from every bad novel and combined the dross together in one series. It is a shame because there are some really fine actors. It is filmed at Versailles and at some of the other royal palaces, the um, sets are inc just incredible. The music is background music seems good too. What's bad is the screenplay and some of, some of the casting, which is completely wretched. It's not supposed to be a documentary because people say, well, it's not a documentary, but it should have some loyalty to the real characters and the historical authenticity. Mm -hmm. um, it claims to be a feminist uh, interpretation of the life of Marie Antoinette, but as we know, there was really no such thing as feminism in those days as we now know it, sure. uh, especially not in the life of Marie Antoinette. There was Mary, Mary uh, Wollstonecraft wrote a lot about emancipation of women. And then there was a lady, an actress who during the revolution itself wrote a lot about the emancipation. Of, she wrote Declaration of the Rights of Women. But Marie Antoinette had nothing to do with any of that. Now, what Marie Antoinette did do for women was uh, she did a lot for um, unwed mothers she provided dowries for girls so they could get married. She provided dowries for women who wanted to be nuns because you couldn't do anything without a dowry. She also uh, did a lot for foundlings. She um, had foundling homes for children who had been abandoned. And she also, uh, she, she allowed women novelists to put their own coat of arms, her coat of arms would be put on the novels of women novelists as she liked that were writing good books, which would help to sell their books. And, and writing was one way that women could, who had been abandoned by their husbands could provide for their children. Now, the thing is, there was no divorce in France at the time, but women did, you know, men did abandon their families or women had to leave um, a situation which was bad and a lot of times women had no other way to make a living but to prostitute themselves or to become a kept woman for some rich man and Marie Antoinette was always trying to encourage women to virtue to a life of virtue and helping them find ways that they could earn a living without sacrificing their virtue and their morals so did, and that's did, part did, um did those books that she sort of I guess it's basically sponsored Yes. Did they did they become popular? Like, do, are they read even today or no? I don't think most of them are read today. There may be a few that that occasionally surface, but I think most of them were not. They were not. Uh, they may not even have been hardcover. They may have been almost like in a pamphlet form. But there were a lot. There was a big. Um, there was a big appetite for romance, sort of romance novels, as people had it back then, and novels about you know young maidens being captured and saved by uh, in chival chival in a chivalric way by a gentleman, and so she um, helped things like that. But I don't think any of those books are really. Um, there is a place, in fact, it's on my Trianon blog. There's a place where you can actually 
um, see a list of her, her books that were in her library. And also in my book, my biography, Daughter of the Caesars, I have a list of the books, some of the books that were in her library. And you could see she had all kinds of different books and, and everything. So that's always interesting to see. Now, let me just uh, mention what the pros about this production. The sets, as I said, are absolutely magnificent. The casting is, uh, they did a good job with who they chose to play Louis XVI is a young man named Louis Cunningham. And he is an excellent choice. He's the best Louis XVI I've ever seen. He looks very much like him. In fact, he's a distant relative of Louis XVI. Oh, really? And yeah, yes. guessing from, from a, uh, how, how would that be actually? He is, uh, I forget exactly how, but it's um, a roundabout way. You know, Louis XVI was related, his mother was a Saxon princess, so he was related to a lot of people in Germany. And I think it came through that line. And of course, the Habsburgs have huge, you know, families. And it came through, I'll, I'll try to find exactly how he is, but... I think it came through um, the House of Luxembourg. I'm not really sure exactly. but Or maybe it was through Belgium. But anyway, this young man looks like Louis XVI very much. And he's excellent. And he's a good actor, too. So, um, and very masculine. He's tall, quiet, very masculine. And um, the other good casting choices, I think, are James Purefoy as Louis XV. Gail Weiss as Madame du Barry. She is perfect as Madame du Barry. Madame du Barry had a very delicate blonde beauty. Everyone thinks, you know, because she was French, she had dark hair. She had a very, she was exquisitely beautiful. And she wasn't the sharpest knife in the drawer. You know, she wasn't like highly educated or anything, but she had been brought up in a convent. In fact, her father, she was an illegitimate child. Her father was a monk. And mm. she actually had been well catechized, believe it or not. Not that she followed her the morals all the time, which obviously she did not, yeah. because she was the mistress of Louis the Fifteenth. But she did know she wasn't a complete peasant. She knew how to behave, and plus she was taught how to behave when she first came to the court. But she had a, anyway. Gaia Weiss is very good as Madame du Barry, and also Leah Oprey plays Madame de Polignac, Marie Antoinette's best friend, and she's just perfect for her. She looks just like her beautiful, delicate features, petite, dark, and she's a good, very good actress too. Now, one uh, aspect of the plot that I thought was very good is that there is a lot of focus on the relationship between Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette, because people are always focused on her relationship with Count the Fersen and the alleged love affair, and her her friendships and relationships with everybody else, but her most interesting relationship was the one she had with Louis, her husband, and that they give that a lot of time in this production. It's not always quite accurate, but at least they give it a lot of time to show that they had a very dynamic, ever changing relationship. They were kind of growing together, and they grow apart. Then they grow back together again and grow apart. You know, it was. It was I'm very pleased with how they had that emphasis on that. I think that's very good. And also that there's, a, you can tell there's lots of love between Louis and Antoinette in this production. Now also something that they do very well is the makeup. 
the makeup, they at court fine court events such as a marriage, which was a beautiful scene. The wedding itself was a beautiful scene. And they show them wearing the pancake makeup and and the rouge, which they all had to wear on formal occasions. Mm-hmm. And that is very it almost looked like made them look like clowns, but that was for informal events. That's what they, you know, like a, a marriage or, or a state dinner or something like that. They had to to wear all wear that. And they did that looks very, very good. All right. Now here are some of the cons. The costumes are are really lovely, but they're mostly, especially the women's costumes, are very inaccurate because the panniers or what the French call les paniers. The um, whalebone thing, they came out from the whalebone corsets and they were like baskets and they held out the, the skirts, really went real wide, wide skirts. So ladies had to go through carriages, through doors um, sideways. They had to go downstairs at an angle and that's why they invented the curved staircase so the ladies could go manage <laughs> these huge skirts. Yeah. They also had a lot of time trouble getting in carriages together, you know, more than one lady. It was very crowded. So they, but they don't, why they don't have that? Because that's always uh, entertaining. The old 1938 movie, Marie Antoinette has a perfect example of what those dresses would have looked like. And in fact, a lot of the gowns in that that movie were based on genuine gowns of Marie Antoinette. So you can kind of see what they would have really looked like. And I don't know why they didn't, maybe trying to save money or something. I don't know why they didn't for this production. The other thing that is not really accurate is the hair. Unfortunately, the hairstyles do not seem to follow any rhyme or reason. They do not reflect the twen, twen, trends or the styles of the era in a consistent manner. And I don't know why they didn't do that because it just um, – it's not that difficult to do. All you have to do is look at paintings and they have the best, you know, it's wig makers. So I don't understand why they just can't have accurate hairstyles. <laughs> but also Marie Antoinette was a redhead. She was not the blonde. She was blonde, but oh, she really? had a lot of red in her hair. Yeah. She was now you see the picture you have up now, her hair has a little powder in it. She would powder her hair and it was very, she would naturally curly hair and it was fri- It was naturally frizzy. It would get very okay. frizzy, and she had, when she was a little, little girl, she had very wild mop of red hair that nobody could get a comb through, and so they would just put it back in a black headband, and she'd run around like that, and nobody did anything with it. But her hair was was very uh, fine, red, um, with red gold, and it um, it didn't look anything like Kirsten Dunst or the lady Emily Schulz who's playing her, the German lady who plays her in this production. And I don't know why they do that. Also, um, they show her friend, Princess de Lamballe. They show her as being dark because, you know, they think anybody who came from Italy has to be dark. But the thing is, uh, Madame de Lamballe, who was uh, Marie-Thérèse of Savoie-Carignan, was her mother was German. She was from the north of Italy. There were a lot of blondes in the north, the north of Italy. Mm-hmm. And uh, Madame de Lamballe was one of them. She had very delicate, bl- beautiful blonde hair. It was really magnificent. And that's one of the reasons when they chopped her head off, they took her to a hairstyler and to, to style her hair before they brought it to the queen to kiss. So that was, Thanks. that plays 
a part. Yeah, that slate happens later on. I don't know how they're going to do that in this, but she wasn't, you know, she was not, she was very delicate and um, delicate blonde beauty. I mean, the lady who plays her is lovely, but she just doesn't look anything like Princess de Lambeau for what that's worth. All right, the casting is um, Emilia Sewell as Marie Antoinette is a beautiful girl, beautiful, but she really was not who I would have chosen if I'd had any say, which obviously I didn't. She's a lovely actress. Yeah, I should. Well, yeah. (laughs) She's a lovely actress, very gifted, but she does not resemble Marie Antoinette. Marie Antoinette had the reddish gold hair. She had an aquiline nose like Louis, not as big as the Bourbon nose of Louis, but she had, you know, an aquiline nose. She looked, Norma Shearer was perfect for Marie Antoinette. And if you look at Norma Shearer's nose, that was the way Marie Antoinette's nose was maybe a little, little larger. And also Marie Antoinette had those magnificent big blue eyes, sapphire blue eyes that captivated people. And this um, Amelia has, you know, black eyes. She's lovely, but she just doesn't capture Marie Antoinette. As far as I'm concerned, I'm sure there are people that disagree with me on that, but you know, now the other weird thing about the casting is that they left out major characters who played such an important part in Marie Antoinette's life. One of them, and the most one who stands out the most as not being there, is the Comte d'Artois. Um, wait, Louis yeah. XVI, sorry, young, Be- yeah. Can I say something before you? Sure, uh, sure, sure. This, go ahead, dear. Uh, this is uh, this goes right into what you're gonna say. Is uh, I just think that looking at this production and as well as uh we discussed previously um bernard Fay uh yeah. or bernard fillet or whatever it is yeah, uh, his, Faye, uh, yes. book on uh on louis the 16th and you can see just why this era and this time period attracts people to write or to want to to delve into these characters into these uh, yes. people of history because there's there's so much there's so many different characters with their own sort of agendas as well as their own oh, yes. desires uh, that, yeah. you know, c- comes into this, you know, chaotic situation around Marie Antoinette yeah. and Louis the 16th. And I was, you know, you mentioned uh, the, uh, um, the count of our, our, uh, missing Artois yes. is missing. And that was the biggest surprise to me when I was watching oh. as well. Yes, because number one, he's the only one beside of the whole siblings of all of Louis siblings, um, the Comte d'Artois, who later became King of France, became Charles X. He is the only one besides Louis and Antoinette who had children. You know, the other siblings didn't have children, even the ones that were married. Provence had no children. Uh, Madame Clotilde, who became Queen of Sardinia, she had no children. Of course, Madame Elizabeth never married. She was executed when she was 30 years old, right after her 30th birthday. She had no children. So Artois was the only, he and his wife were the only ones to have children. And their children were very important in the coming history of the family. Like in my novel, Madame Royale, both of Artois' children, uh, the Duc de Barry and the Duc d'Angoulême have a very important role. They're like major characters. So them completely leaving out Artois is just, I, I just don't understand. And also Artois was Marie Antoinette's um, he was her buddy. I mean, they would go dancing. They would stay out late. I mean, they, and everybody, he's the one that everybody said she was having an affair with. Now she <laughs> wasn't, 
because she didn't yeah. like him that way. But he, she just liked him because he was fun. He then he gambled like she did, and they loved horseback riding and race horse racing. But she, um, you know, they have this thing in this in this series about her having this something going on with the um, Duke de Chartres, who became the Duke d'Orléans. Now right. she had nothing. She never. For one thing, the Duke de Chartres wasn't always hanging around Versailles. He had his own palace in Paris. He had his own things he was go doing in Paris. I mean, he'd show up for special events, but usually when they saw him, they would go to his one of his parties in Paris when they were in town. That's when they would see him. He wasn't always hanging around the palace trying to seduce Marie Antoinette. And then plus they have him try, try, uh, sexually assaulting Marie Antoinette, which of course, you know, that didn't, you know, would not have happened. They think he may have done that to his sister-in-law when Princess de Lamval was actually his sister-in-law. I don't know that. The, okay. um, she was married to um, his his, he, his wife, Chartres, the Duchess Duchesse de Chartres. Her um, brother had been was Prince de Lamballe, who had been married to Princess de Lamballe, mm -hmm. and he died of syphilis after the Duke de Chartres introduced him to some courtesans. He died. He caught syphilis and died, and Princess de Lamballe never married again. And they think that the Duke de Chartres may have had uh, outraged her in some way, uh, but he didn't do it to Marie Antoinette. He, he, he did it to, he wouldn't have dared to do that. So in spite of everything else he dared to do. So that's kind of odd. And uh, also the, um, of course they don't have Madame Clotilde in the other sister, the middle sister, they don't have her in the show. And she actually married the brother of the um, Comtesse de Provence, Marie-Josephine, who's a very homely, that is shown as being the very homely wife of Provence. Um, her brother was married to Louis' sister. And then Madame Elizabeth, they don't have her at all, which is very bizarre because you know, she played such a major role. Once the royal family revolution starts and they were hauled off to prison, Madame Elizabeth would not leave. She stayed with them and uh, sacrificed her own life. But she was very close to Marie Antoinette. They were really like like real sisters instead of just sisters-in-law. And she helped Marie Antoinette deepen her spiritual life because she was very religious. She had wanted to become a nun, but Louis asked, he said, I think you need to stay here with us. So she stayed. She was wanted to go to the Carmelites, but she didn't. There's also no Madame Sophie, who was the youngest of the um, the aunties, the, Les Mesdames Tantes, of Louis XVI, his, um, the daughters of Louis XV. Her, um, his youngest daughter was Madame Sophie. Now, they don't have her at all. I have no idea why they'd leave her out, because she was a character and a half. And neither do they have, the, the, actually, the very, very youngest daughter. Madame Sophie was next to the youngest. The very youngest was Madame Louise, who became a Carmelite nun and who is now a venerable of the church. Her cause has been introduced. I can't remember if she's been beatified, but I know they're trying to beatify her. I think they have beatified her. She's known as Blessed um, Therese de Saint-Augustin. And she was um, the mother superior of the Carmel of Saint-Denis. And she was poisoned right before the revolution began. But she and Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette were very close to her. They wrote to her all the time. Marie Antoinette visited her at the Carmel and brought her children. And said probably Marie Antoinette probably visited her more than anybody else in the family. So that's kind of odd taking that out. That's kind of the Catholic side of the family that balances mm -hmm. out with the botchery that was going on. They, they don't 
cover the fact that there were many members of the family, including Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette, who were very devout Catholics and who really tried to live as moral a life as, as they could under the circumstances, who prayed and, and, and had lots of massive charitable works going on, you know, and, and um, that was something that's very important. All right, so they have no Comtesse d'Artois, who was a mother of three children. It's very bizarre. And then it's, as I said, it's bizarre that Chartres is always hanging around at Versailles because he wasn't really part of their, I mean, Marie Antoinette didn't like him, but he wasn't always there trying to seduce her or whatever he's trying to do. Sure. Now there's also um, the plot overall is such, it's a tissue of absurdities, which was a line that Marie Antoinette later used to describe the French constitution. <laughs> a tissue of absurdities, yes, because it shows Marie Antoinette being sexually assaulted by three people, including her husband. They have Louis trying to rape her, which was so bizarre. I can't imagine him him ever doing that. Yeah, that and is bizarre. Bizarre. It's very bizarre to anybody who knows about him. Now, he sometimes he did have a temper. And there was a rumor going around when there were enemies that he had that he had struck her and that um, his grandfather before he became king, that they said he had had a fight with Marie Antoinette and he had had hit, struck her. But people who knew him didn't believe it. It was just kind of one of those nasty rumors going around. Um, now, he did strike his brothers. He and his brothers would have fist fights, but I don't think he, any of them ever. Well, he never st struck his wife. I know, don't know about Artois and Provence may have struck their wives. They weren't always good boys. <laughs> now, also, the oh, this is a really weird thing. In, in the first episode, it shows Marie Antoinette being slapped by a lady in waiting. In fact, the Comtesse de Noailles, who had been a lady in waiting to the former queen, um, the late queen um, Marie Lezinska. And the thing is, no one would strike a member of the royal family. You shall not strike the anointed of the Lord is in scripture. The king was the anointed of the Lord. And, and that extended to his entire family. That nobody, nobody would. Can you hear me? Okay. Yep. N nobody would strike the Lord's anointed. And that extended to his family. They would not strike the future queen who might be the mother of at some point, the mother of the future King. That would not have happened. No one would have struck the queen. That was a shocking, shocking scene that they would have that happen. For one thing, Marie Antoinette's family would, would, would send troops to um, attack the <laughs> palace if they struck her. So they wouldn't have done that. Yeah. Uh, okay. Now it also shows her having to be told to curtsy to Louis the 15th, which is really ridiculous. I mean, Marie Antoinette grew up in a palace. Her father was a Holy Roman emperor. She knew how to curtsy to a, to a crowned, um, to a monarch. So that is ridiculous. The etiquette in general is sloppily portrayed. The aunts, it shows the aunts having very bad table manners. Now, you know, the aunts, one, one thing they knew how to do was to eat properly. I mean, they may not have done <laughs> anything else, but the one skill they had totally mastered by the time they were the age they were, which is in their 40s or 50s, is they totally knew how to eat properly with proper court etiquette. And to have them being loud, noisy, and, and repulsive is, is ridiculous. Uh, now, it also shows her having a romance with the Swedish Count Fersen, for which, as we've discussed before, there's absolutely no solid proof at all. You know, they have letters that they found, but there's nothing in those letters to indicate that they had had an affair because Marie Antoinette wrote that way to everyone. And 
if you read letters she wrote to other people, to men and women, she's always gushing over them. And they said, oh, she says that she she'll lo loves him unto, unto madness. But she wrote that about her little boy. She said, oh, I love him unto madness, which means I love him. You know, I, um, I'm crazy with love for him. And she was crazy with love for her children. She was crazy with love for some of her friends. And she was crazy with love for Ferris and Bessie's. Also, she was trying at the time she wrote those letters, which is much later, she was trying to get him to, he was the only one helping them escape. He had helped them escape. He was the only one left who was trying to help them get out of that situation. So of course she let him think, you know, this they were in the middle of this great love and everything, but because she needed his help. Mm -hmm. All right. The um now, um, you know, it shows her and Count Ferrison at Trianon. This is, a, I, th I think, in an episode. It hasn't been shown yet. But it shows her spending time with him at Petit Trianon. Well, the thing is, she wouldn't have just had an affair with Ferrison at Trianon because Louis, he didn't sleep at the palace at, at Trianon. That was her little refuge in, in the gardens. And it wasn't a lot far away. It was like a 15-minute walk. They act like it's way out in the country or something. It was on the palace grounds. Louis would walk over there early in the morning and wake her when she was still in bed. And that's usually when they had their romantic time. And then he'd go back to the palace. All right. So with Louis walking in unexpectedly, it would have been a bad idea for her, even if she had been so inclined to entertain a lover, you know, when Louis is going to walk in at any minute and you don't know when he's going to walk in. So she wouldn't have done that. That's just so, so ridiculous for anyone who knows the habits of the Royal family. Okay, so let me just, um, how much time? Okay, we're, have, we're pretty good on time. Um, is this an hour or half an hour? However long you want it to be. Oh, oh, good. Okay, well, I have a lot more. Here's the things on the episodes. The um, episode one is that Marie Antoinette is shown meeting the royal family of France. Oh, I've kind of disappeared from the screen. I'm sorry. Marie okay. Antoinette is shown meeting the royal family of France at, the sh uh, chateau now there's this is actually a kind of a funny scene in some ways because louis comes walking up with a holding a dead rabbit it's kind of actually kind of funny <laughs> even though that's not way um that's not way that that really happened though what really happened is that she her and her coach and her entourage which had ridden all the way from austria met um louis and his grandfather the king in the forest of compiègne you know, outside the city of Compiègne, because it was the custom of the French court to ride out to meet the um, bride of the whoever was coming to marry one of the princes. They would ride out to meet the bride, and that was where they met in the forest. And they didn't meet. I mean, Louis was dressed appropriately. You know, he his they made him dress up, and his hair was probably powdered, and her hair was probably powdered. And so it was, it was a very, and she came running to, to meet, I jumped out of her coach and came running up to meet them. And, and she curtsied to the king. She didn't have to be told, oh, you have to curtsy to the king. I mean, that's ridiculous <laughs> for a princess of a ha Habsburg archduchess to be told to a curtsy. That yeah, is just so a ridiculous thing. What, um, what was the like, uh, customs like at, uh, the uh, Hofburg in, uh, in Austria? Well, the, the Hofburg, the, was the family Marie Marie Antoinette was very much like her mother, Empress Maria Theresa. Their home was very um, very casual compared to the French court. 
they um, all sat at a different place at night at the table. Everyone sat in a different chair. They didn't have assigned seats the way they did in France. And it was a very loving kind of a chaotic, because there were 16 children. Hmm. And it was, and plus by that time, by the time Marie Antoinette was, was around 12, there were also were grandchildren around running around there too. So her nieces and nephews. So it was a big, big family. They were very laid back about, about etiquette, but they did curtsy. I mean, curtsying was something, if you watch any Jane Austen novels, you know, ladies who, they're not even royalty, but they curtsy to each other as they come and go. Ladies and gentlemen always curtsy to each other. The peasants, if, if they would meet a, a, a grand lady or grand gentleman from the town, they would curtsy to them as they pass by. So curtsying was just part of etiquette. And it, it was just how um, it was part of life in the seven, um, 18th century. So for them not to show Marie Antoinette knowing enough to curtsy to the king, I mean, unless she was so scared, but see, she knew, I mean, that was something she had been trained, wired, hardwired to do was how to curtsy and be charming. That was the one thing she knew how to do and dance. I mean, she was taught to dance by ballet dancers. So she could be, she could dance like a professional dancer. Now, um, of course, then they show her being slapped by Madame de Noailles, which is utterly ridiculous. That never would have happened. Now, as I said, the wedding scene is very lovely. But Louis and Antoinette, um, they're, you know, the, the going to bed scene, they, they were showed them being put together into bed together naked, which they would, did not do. They had beautiful, very sumptuous night clothes and nightcaps. The, they were they got into bed, you know, fully, fully covered. I mean, their hair was covered and there was holy water. Now, why they have them being um, this shows the king and the whole court pelting them with bonbons while they're sitting naked in bed. And the two young couple are just blushing and humiliated and frightened and everything. Now that they I'd never read anywhere that they did that. If someone else knows and you know, wants to tell me, yes, they did pelt people with bonbons, but I, that was just bizarre. That was just Seems really weird. It was very weird. And I can't, and it was weird that they would make her take off all her clothes in front of everybody. They never, ever would have done that. Her modesty was very, always very, very uh, respected. Also, where now, are, where are the like clergy? There are no clergy, pretty much. No, no, that's the other thing. And there were, you know, there were priests and bishops all over the place. In fact, they had, um, you know, they were some of the high high nobles were the um, grand dominer, and those people. They were always around. I mean, they were in the wedding and everything. No, they don't show. You know, Versailles had its own chapel. And there was a parish and there were people, well, there were a lot of people who lived there who went to mass every day. The king and queen went to mass every day. And even if, when Marie Antoinette was at her little house at Trianon, she went, she had a chapel. She went to mass every day there too, you know, so they don't show, they don't show how Catholic they were, which I think is, is, is disappointing. Now, um, the one very, this, this episode two, which I think is very bizarre. It shows Marie Antoinette having her period, which uh, she acts like she doesn't know what that is. And the thing is, she would never have been sent to France 
if she had not that the whole reason they sent her to France when they did is that she was considered fully a woman. She had menstruated for the first time. And this was a diplomatic matter. They wrote about this, you know, everybody announced that she was now a, the, the, the archduchess and Antonia is now a woman. And so she didn't suddenly go to Versailles. And then, uh, you know, that, that was just so bizarre that they would show that happening. I mean, Marie, come on, Marie Antoinette was the youngest of nine girls. I mean, there were things about being a girl that she knew all about. Anybody who grows up in a big family and has older sisters, you know, knows what it's like, knows things like that. So that's kind of ridiculous. And there's, see, there were things like that which were just stupid and that kind of ruined it. Now, it shows Marie Antoinette going to Madame de Berry for help with her marriage and how to kiss her husband and being taught how to kiss. Now, she would never have gone to Madame du Barry for that. For one reason, she she refused to speak to Madame du Barry because she thought she was a whore. Never well, seriously, she well, did. Was, she she, she yeah. was. Well, she she you know was, and she got in trouble. It caused a diplomatic incident, and finally Marie Antoinette with her mother and her husband and everybody begged her, and so she walked past Madame du Barry, and she said, "There were many people at Versailles today," and that's all she had to say. And after <laughs> that, they were sort of friendly. But not really. And um, anyway, to have her going to Madame du Barry about some intimate matter that she would only, uh, you know, discuss with her mother if her mother wasn't, you know, a thousand miles away is just ridiculous. So ridiculous. And she would never. Um, there were rumors now that Louis the Fifteenth wanted to secretly marry Madame du Barry, but you know, she did have a husband. And if he had uh, had her marriage annulled and married her. She would not have become the queen, but would have been a Morganatic wife with no royal title. Now, but they show her like about to become the queen when the king dies. You know, she's who's ready she, to be the queen. Who's she married to? Well, she could not be presented to court if she wasn't married. So because okay. she hadn't been married. So Louis found a willing hu husband for her just to stand up and get married. It was really a sacrilegious uh, sacrilege, sacrilege against the whole sacrament of matrimony and Louis the 15th, not Louis the 16th, Louis the 15th wanted this woman at court. He did bend every rule and had her go through a, a false marriage just so she could be a married lady. And it was a count. That was how she got her title, the Comtesse du Barry. Okay, she yeah, married that's what count. I was confused about. Yeah, she got a count. That's how she began countess. Because otherwise, she was no, she was you know a girl from the streets and an illegitimate yeah. daughter of a monk. So the thing is, she never would have been able. That's the other thing that uh, outraged people, is that usually the mistress was of the king was from a very noble family. So his first um, full time mistress of a great you know was madame de pompadour now she was from a middle class family which was bad enough and everybody was horrified but now he married someone who they said was just from the gutter uh, madame du barry and so they were all horrified the french court they were horrified they were more horrified they weren't horrified that he had a mistress they had they but they were horrified that he would pass off a woman a, a low a woman of the lower classes as his mistress that's what upset people the most which where is, did where did this like uh this uh i don't know play uh position come from the mistress of of the king you know wh where did that well, originate oh it's 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 kind of a sad thing but it goes back to um it goes back to 
Charles VII, who Joan of Arc helped, he was the first king to have a mistress. And not every single king did, but the, all the Bourbons were really had crazy with mistresses. And the thing is, when they ha was a mistress, everyone, anything went wrong that the people would blame the mistress. All right. They wouldn't blame the queen. They would blame the <laughs> mistress. So it was kind of it became almost like helpful to have a mistress there who everyone would say blame everything bad that was on her. If one of the children died, they could say, oh, the mistress poisoned him. All right. Now, Henry II <laughs> of France, he had Diane de Poitiers as his mistress, and she really kind of ruled the country. And Madame Pompadour ruled the country. And she, Madame Pompadour, was the one who arranged for Marie Antoinette to come over. And so, and gave him Petit Trianon had been built for Madame Pompadour, but then later um, Madame de Berry inherited it. So the thing is, what was sad for Marie Antoinette is that she was in this um, situation where she was living, she was the mistress. She tried to show that she was her husband's mistress. He didn't need to have a mistress because she was his mistress, but that backfired on her because everyone thought it meant she was a woman of no morals, which was contrary to that. She, that she was an immoral lady. Why did she need, she need, she proclaimed herself to be his mistress? Yeah, of her like, own husband's, her husband's mistress, that she was his mistress. He didn't need to have a mistress because he was had his wife and they had a loving and relationship, which actually at the time they hadn't consummated their marriage yet. But she sure. was trying to show, see, it was a power thing. She had to show that she was the one who was the most power. She had the power over the king more than anybody else. And she had to do that for her family. So she, it was a power play to show that she was the one with the most um who the king listened to was this just a with french thing because i don't i've never uh i don't think of english kings as being ruled by mistresses or Not even their queens much, or, or yeah, even charles the holy II. emperor yeah charles ii did now the french um brought this to a high art you know having a maîtresse en titre they they of course with these things like that especially things that are they're sort of immoral they are able to to gild it and make it into some you know some something that um was was actually it dragged the whole country down. It dragged the morality of the entire country down. Now Louis the sixteenth and Marie Antoinette really tried to reverse that. But the thing is, Louis the Fifteenth. Nobody knows if he ever secretly married Madame du Barry. And the thing is, even if he had, he would not. Um, the um, okay, where were we? Episode two. Okay, so that never happened. Uh, that now, now episode three. The Comtesse de Provence, Marie Josephine of Savoy, marries Provence. But in real life, she brought her younger sister, who also who was there. They had a double wedding. The younger sister was Marie Maria Teresa, and she married everybody. Other person in these days was named Maria Teresa. You may notice. All right, Maria Teresa of Savoy married the Comte d'Artois. They had three children, two who lived to to adulthood, and. Um, so that was um, Marie Antoinette had two sisters-in-law to deal with, not just one. She had two, and they were both devious. They both hated her. Uh, Maria, the, the Comtesse d'Artois, wasn't quite as bright as the Comtesse de Provence. The Comtesse de Provence was also a lesbian. So if they wanted to, you know, have some, something gay in there, they could have made something with I don't know how much they're going to do anything with that. But 
they they blame it's funny because the Comtesse de Provence and her husband were the ones that made up all the stories about Marie Antoinette being a lesbian, which <laughs> yeah, I know, very yeah. Well, so was then Provence, was Provence home uh, gay as well? No, he 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 had okay. diabetes. He had problems. He actually did have a mistress, Madame de Balbi, who their major recreation seemed to be playing chess and and designing pamphlets to to uh, make the king and queen look bad. But did she was go, the one. Sorry, did that go into his reign as well? Because uh, um, he had a favorite. And if you've read my novel, Madame Royale, he had a favorite, but I think it was, it was chaste. But he enjoyed the company of women. Mm -hmm. He enjoyed intelligent women. This Madame de Balbi was very, very smart and witty. And he enjoyed that. And she was actually the one who told him that it was against his faith to stay and swear to the constitution, civil constitution of the clergy, and that he'd better leave if he wanted to be a good Catholic. So actually that's his mistress was the one who got him to leave and packed up him and his wife. And they, that's how they escaped. And that's a whole nother story in itself. Yeah. But he was not homosexual. He, he may have been bisexual. You know, I really don't, there's not sure. a lot of evidence on that. He was not, I mean, um, that part is not they, that important. No, I'll know, but they think he may have had trouble because he, he was diabetic. They think he may have had trouble with impotence. So it wasn't, he wasn't an overly sexual person, but he was very intellectual and he let his, um, he, he expressed things with his mind and, and, and he was very, very smart. And um, that all comes out later. So then, okay. So you have those two Italian sisters and then the coronation is, seems like a really beautiful scene. It's a beautiful scene when Louis and Antoinette look at each other. When Louis crowned, he looks up at her. And that's beautiful. That really happened in real life. It's a very beautiful, beautiful scene. All right. Now, the, that's episode six. Oh, I've, I've skipped. No, that's episode four is the coronation. All right. Episode five. They have her having the style council. She never had anything like that, but she did take music lessons from Joseph Boulogne, who had been born to a slave, and he was a Chevalier de Saint-Georges. There's a new movie out about him, and um, it's it's very um, looks interesting. And Lucy Boynton plays Marie Antoinette, and she's actually perfectly cast for that role. I think she makes going to make beautiful roles. So there. Um, anyway, then we get into um, episode six, which has some beautiful love scenes between Louis and Antoinette. It's when they finally consummate their marriage and all that. And there's actually a lot which shows how they loved each other. And I think they do a pretty good job. That episode seven is when the pamphlets is when she's finally pregnant. And there are all these pamphlets saying her child is begotten by someone else. And um, both, um, but it's just, it says Louis suspects her of an affair with the Duke de Chartres, and that's that's not true at all. He wasn't even, I mean, he lived in Paris. He wasn't like hovering around Versailles all the time. Yeah. And it's also true that both um, Provence and the Duke de Chartres were printing up pamphlets against Marie Antoinette even at that time. So um, they were doing it for their own power. And um, now uh, the eighth episode, the final episode of season one, has all about the Fersen nonsense. And it kind of doesn't fit in at that point because Marie Antoinette at the time was very happy. She finally had her children. She had her two children. She had her husband's love. 
she had her petit trianon, she had her gardens, she had a lot of things she was interested in, lots of circle of friends, she had her musical things, she loved the opera. And they're really, I'm not saying that, you know, she couldn't have like fallen in love with Fersen or something like that, but it wasn't um, the uppermost thing in her mind. I mean, she loved handsome men. When she first saw Fersen, she was actually not after when she was queen, she had met him briefly at a masquerade ball, but when she was queen and first saw him again, she was pregnant. And they said she got her tears in her eyes when he said goodbye. Well, the thing is pregnant women are weepy, you know, I mean, they, you know, Marie Antoinette was very emotional anyway. And so, but and he was a handsome man. I mean, she wasn't, she obviously, she appreciated handsome men, but that doesn't mean she slept with him or that she had an affair with him or that they would spend days together at Petit Trianon because for one thing, Louis would show up in the morning unannounced and things like that. So anyway, people want more on this, um, and more about Marie Antoinette. My book, Marie Antoinette, Daughter of the Caesars, is a biography of her. I I go into a lot of, not this miniseries, because it wasn't out then, but I go into a lot of the details about her. And my novels, Trianon and Madame Royale, have a lot about the royal family and a lot about what happened during the French Revolution and after the French Revolution. Gotcha. Yeah. So, so that's what oh. I have today. I'll have uh, links uh, to your book in the description uh, so people can uh, find your work as well as I'll oh, have your you. uh, your blog uh, um, in the description as well. Uh, uh, you, you have an upcoming book uh, probably yes. in a year or two maybe. Yes, and probably after Christmas, um, um, Generalissima, a novel of Henry Marie, Henrietta Maria. It is the the sequel to My Queen, My Love. Now, also on this Marie Antoinette PBS, I wanted to say there's a lady online named Anna Gibson, and she has done a thorough breakdown of every single episode. And you can find her on, on Twitter at Inviting History. It's called at Inviting History. And she has a Tumblr called Vive la Reine, Treasure for Your Pleasure. She gets a lot about Marie Antoinette there, and she um, endorsed my biography. And she, But her Twitter account is where she breaks down every episode. And she got all the episodes somehow. I don't know how she got them. But anyway, she's seen every single one, and she's gone into – detail about what's wrong what's right and everything so if anyone wants more about this that's where to go and um, i'll be keeping things up going on my blog too if anyone wants to see this but this is the main thing i have done talking to you is the main thing i've done for about this this show i haven't really written anything up on my blog so this is it this will go on my blog though when when you air it so um anyway but it's been great talking to you thank you so much for having me no problem. Thank you all for watching. Please like, share, comment, and subscribe. We look forward to having you back uh, anytime, uh, Elena, uh, that Thank you, you. Uh, want to come back on. Uh, God bless everyone.